0: to open views build podcast as i said last week our first season of build really revolves around the first hundred days so each week what i'm going to be doing is interviewing different leaders from top SaaS companies about the first hundred days after a major change or some major milestone within their co- within their business We're partnering with SaaS leaders who have actually gone through these experiences and can now live to tell the tale. Today, we have Jeff Diana, one of our portfolio advisors. And before he started working with OpenView, Jeff served as the Chief People Officer of Atlassian. This was between 2012 and 2016. So his focus there was to enable Atlassian to scale its workforce globally. And he has more than 20 years of experience and is really a builder of world-class HR organizations. So he served as a consultant now to many high growth progressive pre-ipo ipo software companies around the globe including a number of our portfolio companies. Today we're going to be talking with Jeff about how he opened up different offices with Atlassian. Some were international and another was actually within the US. Hi Jeff.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So we're very excited to have you here today and one thing we wanted to focus on for this particular conversation was first 100 days around building out a new office. So obviously, every company that we're investing in, everyone, every company starts off with a hub. But what happens as you think about sort of moving into new regions, whether that's within the country or outside of the country? Sounds like a topic that's pretty relevant for you, right?
1: Big part of Atlassian's journey, so happy to share that with you.
0: Excellent. So I guess before we kick things off, tell us a little bit about your time at Atlassian, what you focused on, what your key focal points were.
1: Sure. When I joined Atlassian, we were about 300 folks and uh, already a successful company, 10 years old. The interesting thing about Atlassian was it was a Sydney-based organization with co-founders who were also co-CEOs And their expansion actually in many ways came to the US and then to other parts of the world. And I was responsible for everything associated with people. I also owned facilities and our real estate footprint, as well as setting up some of our shared service centers and the work that we did outside of our major hubs. So it should fit right in with the topic at hand. And when I left, we had completed a successful IPO. We had reached a couple thousand folks and over 600 million in revenue. So just a really fast super successful example of a company going through scale on, a, on an international basis. Got it.
0: Excellent. Outstanding. So obviously, you mentioned that Atlassian started off in Australia and then moved into San Francisco. At what point did you join? So you started in
1: the San Francisco office, right? I did. That's right. San Francisco was already on the board. When I joined, we had three, quote, major locations. There was Sydney, obviously, which was the center of the company. San Francisco was second in size, and third was a small location in Amsterdam. Mm. And those were our three locations. Part of our challenge, of course, was our business model was high volume, low price, massive customer base. Yet one of the first things we looked at was our cost structure probably didn't best support that, knowing that we were in three of the top 10 most expensive cities on the planet. So something needed to give as we continued to build toward really large scale and really successful company that would be public. Excellent.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. So tell me when you started, wh- which was the first office that you helped open? Yeah,
1: the first office I helped open was actually in Manila, so in the Philippines, and was pretty early for the company. Partly, my goal was to really address that cost structure long term and to get a significant amount of work in a lower cost location but to do it in a way that I would say a lot of companies don't, which was we went in not as a quote outsourced or offshore location, but we went in and established an office, a legal entity, and they were actually our people. Got it.
0: And during that four-year period that you were at Atlassian, what other offices were you responsible for for opening?
1: Yeah, I was responsible for a, a few different revs at simplifying our footprint. And I know we'll talk just about how footprint plays in terms of complexity or being a competitive advantage for companies. I know that's important to the companies in the portfolio. The other major offices I was part of was Saigon, which grew pretty significantly as a secondary dev hub to Sydney, as well as opening our Austin office, which was really a secondary dev hub predominantly, as well as a customer service center for us as a partner to the San Francisco office. So we tried to move to two major hubs with various spokes tied to those hubs as we got to a really large scale.
0: So we're talking about a few different office openings today. For the purposes of our conversation right now, what would you want to focus on if we're going to sort of zoom in on the 100-day period, probably maybe 50 days before, 50 days after the launch? Where would you want to start off? What should we talk about?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you hit the first piece. Is I think the the work leading up to the launch is just as important as once you launch the site. And I think a lot of organizations simply focus on the event of launching a new site. They kind of think, great, now we're done and on to what's next. And I actually think the period after launch is very critical, as is the planning stage going into launch. So we could talk about that with any of those locations and happy to share with you the story of that. The blueprint was eerily the same, which is a good thing. I think that's why we were successful with those sites.
0: Okay. So let's talk about the blueprint then. So 50 days leading up to it, what do you want to sort of have in working order? Take us back to that period in time where there was a couple months before you were going to have this new office and what was top of mind for
1: you? Sure. And I think it's probably most relevant with Saigon and Austin, because I think we went through the same experience in terms of depth of research of where we added that site and I know you know companies are established all over the globe you have a very global portfolio so coming to the US may be the international move for some yeah but I think the first thing that's really important is that site selection do you actually have a set of criteria and do the due diligence on where you want to go you know don't just fall into the trap of we found a great talent and fill in the blank let's hire that person and we'll build around them be really thoughtful around the location that you choose and we can talk through a little bit more what should go into a site selection. But once that site selection is done, you get to that 50 days prior to launch. And there's a few key activities that you have to establish. The first one I would say is identify the landing party. So going into a new location, make sure you select the right people from your existing major hub and get them to that location. Whether that's for six months, 12 months, permanently, you may have a blend of that. But you really want to make sure you have people that are part of the landing party that not only know the work that's going to sit at that new location so they can help start it and hire for it, but you also want to have people that are excellent culture ambassadors to set the culture at those locations and that you know will be with you for a while. Yeah. So getting that landing party right is really important. The second thing I would- How big should that landing party
0: be, ideally? What, what did you do with Atlassian?
1: I think in both of our cases, we had landing parties that were about 25 individuals. Okay. So- pretty sizable we were you know probably 500 folks when we were uh, establishing these sites to give you a rough order of magnitude i think what's most important is relative to the size of the teams you're going to build you know you have at least 10% of that site and 10% of those functions represented if you're going to add customer service and you think you're going to put 50 people there over 2 years great, then get five people on the ground, for example. So it's the relativity that's probably most important in terms of a landing party.
0: And how did, you, how did you form that landing party? Did you sort of put a memo out to the company and say, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing, who's game? Or did you selectively go to those people, like you said, that you knew would be great culture carriers and have that conversation one-on-one?
1: Yeah, we, it, was, it was really a blend. I think because we wanted to give everyone the opportunity to see it as a career growth opportunity and just personal development. And it fit culturally for us. We allowed people to raise their hand. At the same time, we were working closely with the leaders of the functions that would be on the ground and saying, who do we think would be great? And let's make sure we tap those people. Mm-hmm. So we, we took it from both ends. and And actually, in both cases, we actually had more people volunteer than we could Accommodate. So then it was up to us to do the selection process of who made the most sense. And that was based on both who would help get those sites up the fastest, who would actually develop and grow more from being there, and what impact would we have at the major hubs if we took those people out right? And put them mm-hmm. into the new location. You kind of have to balance the needs on both ends for that.
0: And for the landing party, did you also, were, were you covering things like their living costs while they were out there as well? Or was that kind of on them? How did, how did that conversation yeah,
1: it really, it really depended on the location? In the case of Austin, we had a large number of people coming from uh, San Francisco to that office. And obviously they were going to a lower cost location. Yeah. So we yep. took care of relocation and moving activities that typically makes sense. We did not feel the need to, uh, you know, treat them, quote, like an expat with housing and other things. So when we went to Saigon, very different, really different cultural experience, a lot harder on the families to make that move for language purposes and other things. And in that case, we covered more housing. We had furnished housing and we had some other cultural activities that we we paid for to get people concrete and in those locations and up and running fast. So it really dependent.
0: Did you have were there people in the case of Saigon, for instance, that you had you were working with almost like a third party that was helping you think through all the logistics around that? Did you have like a sole partner out there that was your counterpart? Or was it really kind of you just getting in there and figuring this all
1: out? Yeah, great question. I think uh, there's a couple components to that. I think on the logistics management side, like relocating people, et cetera, we had a global mobility partner that we used. We used them for all of our major movements. So that was great. I think specific to Saigon, we made the decision when we looked at other regions and where we wanted to be to to pick that location. But in moving to that market, we made the decision to work with a third party. And there are lots of third party providers out there that either do third-party development if it's on the the product and engineering side, or in this instance, they actually established third-party offices, did the hiring for you or in concert with you, and they actually held those people as their employees, and it was what's called the build-on transfer model. So at different sizes of scale and different success measures we put in, we could actually acquire that entity, obviously, for a cost, but because they had experience in that market and could do a lot of the heavy lifting, it allowed us to de-risk that move and to move at a faster pace. So that's what we did as it related to Sydney. Oh. I mean, excuse me, Saigon. Got it.
0: So let's go back again to that pre-stage before the office, before the doors were actually open. What else went into it? What else was kind of your, your major focal point at that point in time?
1: Yeah. So besides IDing the landing party, I'd say there were three other things that were super important. The other was being very clear on the purpose of the site, the size and scale you think long term it can get to, and what work you wanted on that site. And I know it sounds a little bit like, duh, that every company will do that, but often the cycles around that are, are not taken to make sure that's very clear. You only want to put work in that location that makes sense for the long term. And you don't want it to be a bit of a free for all because it impacts your capacity at other sites of what you do at your major hub or your other offices around the world. So, getting that clear was very important. And that was done not only with some modeling on the financial side of how big it, you know, over the next three years do we think we could get, but working with the leaders of the different functions and being clear on their vision for what work made sense at the main hub versus what work could be done at this new location. And what work naturally needs to be done co-located, right? What, what functions fit better together? You typically will put product engineering and design together if you can, because they'll more effectively build great products, for example. So solving that was one of the other major things. The other two were identifying a site owner. It's super important, not just the person who's going to go beyond the ground as the site leader, which is super critical, but who's the executive that, quote, owns that site. And we had a very clear definition of what site ownership meant, and we could talk a little bit about that.
0: What role is that typically within the company, or what was it for Atlassian?
1: Yeah, for Atlassian, you know, remember, we were at a size and scale, maybe perhaps a clip ahead of some of the companies that are making that first dip into new locations. So for us, it was a C level leader, someone who owned a major function. We defined who that was based upon the work that was there and the capacity that those leaders had. But it was very clear what that role was. Things like, you are responsible for the health of that site. So Mm -hmm. make sure the the site is healthy. We have the right culture there. What did that mean? It meant you visited that site at least four times a year. It meant you were responsible for tracking and making sure other leaders, including the CEOs and founders, visited that site with regularity. So your job was to sponsor the site, not only make sure people came and visited, but are people thinking through what other work could go to that site as we grow? Because you understand the local market, be visible in the local market from a PR perspective, et cetera. So we had very clear criteria of what that role was. And it wasn't just to check the box hand wave. It was hands-on and feeling like that was part of your responsibility.
0: Were they also presenting to the board those health checks?
1: They were if it was necessary in those sites. I mean, obviously, in early innings, it's a big investment, so boards want to know about that. So they often were making you know, updates on that. If not, as the ultimate owner of our footprint, I would make those updates. Or in some cases, if it was that strategically important, the CEOs and founders wanted to do that. But they were fed the information by that site owner.
0: In the 50 days leading up to the Saigon office opening for this, was were the... Uh, I know you've had... It was a trifecta at the top of it last year, right? You had the president, a CEO, co-founder, dynamic, am I right?
1: That's right. We had two CEOs slash co-founders and a president. Yep.
0: And did they all go to the opening of that new office or was it one that took the ownership? Were they there for like the grand opening? What was the thought process there?
1: Yeah, I think part of it depended upon where they were with everything else going on, right, in terms of IR requirements, PR, where we were the business. But we did have, in Austin, Jay Simons, our president, was there. He and I both went. I was actually the C-level owner of Austin. In Saigon, we actually had, I believe it was Mike who went, one of our co-founders and co-CEOs that went. And we thought that was super important to have that level of leadership. We also had our head of engineering, really our CTO at the time, go because so much of the site was going to be work in his organization. So it was kind of picking that blend of you absolutely want one of those founders or CEOs to go and then likely the leader who has the biggest footprint on that site to be part of that as well.
0: So when you opened up the office, was there recruiting involved in that local market prior to the office opening? Or was it really kind of that landing party's responsibility once the office was open to start doing the interviewing and the recruiting and and having these people start?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the case of Saigon, we leaned heavily on our third party partners who were really doing the recruiting for us. They were working with my lead recruiting team out of Sydney. So there was some oversight, and here's what we look for, and here's our requirements. As it related to Austin, we actually, at the same time that we were selecting the site, I was hiring the recruiting leader for the site. So we tried to land that in parallel. And then as soon as we identified the landing party and we had a sense of what resources we were going to add there, they were starting to do that. But to your point, that was a big requirement of the landing party was, you know, hire your team members. Or if you were coming for, say, a six-month assignment, it was hire your replacement, and that was your way to mm-hmm. go back to your original site. So it was a blend of that. But we really didn't do a ton of advanced hiring in the market. What we did do is figure out the recruiting team in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we then we let the hiring flow with that landing party being a big part of it. Okay, got it.
0: So what are the lessons learned? You look back on the 50 days before doors opened, what, what surprised you? What would you do differently next time around?
1: The biggest thing for me was, do you really have clarity around how big the site will get and how much work you're going to put there and what type of work? So, you know, I would say with Saigon, we had a really good sense of that. Like it was there for product development. What we probably didn't do as well in Saigon was recognize though at scale. And our vision was to make that a multi-hundred person site could we find the select skills we needed at scale? And that would be you know, lead designers mm. or senior architects or product managers who had run teams of 25. We ultimately actually closed that site, even though it was scaled to almost 150 people, because we could not find those very senior players that had the experience we needed. We could find great technical talent that was more junior but we could not find the senior linchpin talent. So because we didn't think far enough out, I would say around that location, we probably missed a little bit on that.
0: And did it end up being that the uh, people that were from your hub that were on the landing already stayed there longer than they had anticipated because they couldn't find that leadership to replace them or?
1: They did, there was part of that for sure. I mean, in the end, I would say, even though we closed the site, it was successful for a couple of reasons. One, we actually relocated a sizable number of those people to our Sydney office. Mm. So that was a huge success in terms of just adding to our overall talent. Mm -hmm. And it was the right people that were able to do that. But it also, I would say from a DNA perspective, got us comfortable with the fact that closing sites is not easy, but making those tough calls is key as your company grows because your geographic footprint, if it gets too complex, can really get in the way of your speed and scale. Mm.
0: How long was that open that office open for in
1: total? Close to a couple of years. Oh wow.
0: So let's talk about the doors are open. What was the what are some of the lessons learned for, you know, the people in the seat for that first 50 to 100 days post
1: opening? Yeah, I think the first thing you have to really be clear on is visit visit visit, uh-huh. right? How do you get Leaders lined up, teams lined up. You really have to get that figured out. Get that visit right, right? You have to have the cadence around who's coming when, and can you have lots of points of excitement in the first 50 days after opening? Okay. The other thing I would tell you is really make sure you assess the new hires. Like that new team that you're hiring are the future of that site. So, tons of activity, spend extra time around that. Really make sure you're not only hiring technical skills, but culture fits super well. Mm-hmm. The third thing I would say that was really important is establish your new rituals. Like, what are you going to do that's unique to that site? And what are you going to do that's going to reinforce your culture? So, you know, we did hackathons, was a big part of Atlassian's culture. And make sure we had a really successful initial hackathon in those sites so that people were participating in it. And then make sure that they came up with their own new rituals of what would be fun for them that they felt reflected not only local culture, but lined up with the company values that would be interesting for them to go do. So those kinds of things, I think, were really important in those first 50 days.
0: So I know that Saigon closed down. What were were the other offices up and running for a period of time? Do they still exist today? Still Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Like Manila has become a really important shared service center for the company. It actually probably has the most diverse set of work on it, including technical support, offline marketing support, finance, HR, a whole host of things. And that site has crossed the 100-person mark to the point where we actually had to move to a new office. So super successful some of the highest employee engagement and lowest attrition rates in the company. And I would say Austin also super successful. We actually scaled Austin to 125 people in 15 months and the site continues to grow and play a really big role in our mobile space, our collab space, and it serves as the North America headquarters for technical support. So super successful sites in those instances. Excellent.
0: Jeff, you obviously know Open OpenView's portfolio. You've had conversations and have done consulting and had advisor roles with companies that we've invested in. So you know expansion stage, right? When is it too early to start thinking about office expansion? And maybe it depends on different circumstances and different companies, personalities, and maturity levels, but can you offer any advice
1: there? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple key components into that. One is if you can't see out the next 18 months with your ability to deliver the talent that you need in the location you are, then I think you, you need to get ahead of that. So that's one piece I would look at. The second piece I would look at is, you know, a lot of times geographic expansion gets driven by customer base expansion. So understanding when you're going to go big customer-wise into some of these other markets, it's obviously valuable to be able to be thinking ahead of, great, I need not only sales in those locations, but marketing, and would it then be advantageous to have support teams in those markets? So understanding the timeline and inflection point around your customer growth, I think is also important. And then I'd say the third thing to think about is when you push the boundaries, and I know it's hard for expansion stage to think out three years, but if you look out a good distance, whether it's your next funding raise or whatever you want to use as the trigger for that, be thinking about when will make sense to have a competitive advantage by having access to talent in another market. But the one thing I will tell you is keeping your footprint as simple as possible, Devin, a big deal. The more complex it gets because you start and you add five or 10 people here or there, that becomes difficult as you get to 500, as you get to 1,000 people to unwind and can get in the way of your growth if you're not really clear on the purpose of that site. How big it can get and what work that you want at that location. Do it with purpose because you will acquire things. You will inevitably open a site for a reason that was talent based, where you found a great leader or something else, and your footprint can get complex in a hurry.
0: Okay. And so it's identifying that and making at some point some difficult decisions.
1: That's right. Getting sites off the board is very difficult, but keeping sites that you will not get to scale can really drag down not only morale, but performance of the company as a whole. And for me, I look at it, you know, there are some golden rules for me, Devin, if I think through some kind of lessons learned maybe for, for the portfolio companies I'd throw out to you. One is make sure when you select your location, you do it not only around talent availability, can you get the quality of talent at the price that you want, et etc., but also select for culture fit of that location. Because if you get great talent, but they do not fit the culture you want as a company or that will work well with your major hub, that's an issue. So select for talent availability and culture fit when you pick your location.
0: You're advising a lot of companies, Jeff. Are you hearing any consistencies with locations that companies are thinking about expanding into, whether that be within the U.S. as sort of a second U.S. office or internationally?
1: you know it really depends upon the driver of that right if they're going for engineering and and technical talent it's really hard to find uncovered territory in the US you know seattle continues to be a really major hub as a lot of the companies in the valley look to push north that obviously is raising the cost of those talents but when you move into markets where there are really large software companies and you can pick off a director or a VP level person, they often can make the first 50 or 100 hires easy. Making that site to 250 or 500 people gets problematic. But Seattle, for example, would be one market. I think in terms of technical support, you know, you continue to see companies move to places like Austin in the U.S. where you can get great technical talent. Outside the U.S., there continues to be a big push in markets like Ireland. Dublin continues to grow not only for technical support, but also for product and engineering. So, you know, I don't think any market is immune. You're seeing more movement into Eastern Europe than you had in the past. Poland has got a lot of growth going on as well. So there's no area that's immune from a desire for growth as the needs for talent versus the supplies in the major markets where people establish their companies just cannot feed the appetite. Mm-hmm.
0: So Jeff, I am going to throw a little bit of a curveball your way. You've clearly had a very interesting path and amazing career. But I'm sure when you were a young Jeff Diana, you weren't always thinking, you know, you were going to grow up and be doing this sort of thing. Or maybe you were, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. When you were a kid, what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up?
1: Wow. When I was a kid, I actually thought I was going to work on Wall Street. Did you? To be honest. Yeah, I did. I was really driven by stock market. Uh, I actually spent some time on the stock market floor. And I thought that would be really interesting. My, my second reincarnation of what my career was going to be was a university professor.
0: Oh, okay. I can see that. I can definitely see
1: you that. You never know where you're going to go, Devin. You never know. Until you, until you see the ride.
0: Okay, so I could definitely see the professor out. You don't strike me as a banker per se, but I, you know, <laughs> you taught me a lot, and I know you taught our portfolio companies a lot too. So that definitely makes a whole lot of sense. My next question is: as we continue to build out our podcast series, is there someone that you think that we should reach out to that you would like to hear the story of? As you think to some specific set of a hundred days for a company specifically within, you know, software, ideally. But you know, you can make it You can make it broader than that if there's someone that you would love for us to reach out to.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably two companies to me that are of, of interest and maybe both of them come from ties to my Atlassian days. But I think Slack is interesting mm-hmm. to me. And it'd be interesting to understand when they define the first 100 days, obviously, because they repivoted and then they hit a huge growth inflection point. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be interesting because I know many of the portfolio companies are finding that perfect fit And that can seem like a slow slog, and then all of a sudden the world gets lit on fire. So understanding that would be great. I think another one that would be really interesting to me is GitHub.
0: Mm.
1: And partly because I think GitHub had a really different approach around people and their business model and where people sat and how to think about that, that was tied to cultural values and operating principles that I think was initially successful and then was very much in the way of their growth and so there'd be an interesting story to tell on that front.
0: I like that idea. Uh, We're definitely talking to some folks at Slack but I like the idea of of GitHub that's definitely one that our our portfolio companies talk about often and I know they had some pretty incredible growth there for a period of time so would love to engage with them. Good recommendations as always.
1: Great to chat Devin I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been really interesting. Again, I know a lot of companies that are in our portfolio and in our network tuning in today, they're thinking about this type of thing, opening new offices in the future, perhaps internationally. So all very good recommendations and lesson learned from your, your time at Atlassian.
1: I enjoyed it and happy to help the companies any way I can. It's, it's a really important strategic decision and making sure you get it right can have a huge positive impact on the company's trajectory.
0: Amen. Well, thank you so much for for tuning in, everyone. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and be sure to give us a five-star rating while you're at it. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Ventures and subscribe to our newsletter that is sent to just over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. Thank you so much. And until next time.